So let me just set the scene and give us the background leading up to the story. God had just brought Israel out of Egypt and delivered them out of slavery, out of their oppression, out of their humiliation. God had heard their cries. God had seen their pain. And God had brought them out of Egypt. And God would use his people. God would use Moses. God would use Joshua to lead his people out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land of Canaan. The land that he promised to give to them as their new home. The land that will be flowing with milk and honey. The place where they will feel at peace and be at peace. God had promised this to Israel. But after all that God had done, what does Israel do? They begin to grumble. They begin to complain. They begin to show their unbelief in God. And sooner or later, they start to disobey God's commands and start worshiping other gods. And because of their disobedience, Israel began to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But even though they were wandering for 40 years, God did not forget them. God still remembered them and was faithful to his promise. And Israel will finally settle in their new home. And the thing is, you probably think that will be the end of the story. Everything was happily ever after. Everything was good from there on. No. Israel will soon again forget God. They'll forget all that he's done. They will forsake God. They will disobey God and do evil in his eyes again. After all that God had done for them, they still chose to turn their back against him. Why? Why did they do this after all that was given to them? And it's simply because of this. Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief that God had the best interest for them. Because of the sinfulness of their hearts, they sought the things that they wanted, not God's. Instead of trusting God, they began to trust in their own ways. They didn't want God's peace at all. They wanted their own version of peace. They thought, God, you're not looking out for me. You don't know what's best for me. Therefore, I'm going to take hold of my own life and do whatever I want. And the question I want to ask us this morning is this. What is your understanding of peace? A lot of times I think peace can come as something as being in a place where it's nice and quiet, right? Where there's a resolve of conflict. Maybe peace for you is getting something that you really wanted, even though it may not be the best. Maybe peace for you is finally settling that conflict or settling that relationship or getting back at someone that hurt you. Maybe that will give you peace. Maybe that will give you resolve. And see, here's the thing. We can have our own version of what peace looks like. And in this passage, God provided true peace for Israel in the land of Canaan where he promised them all things, yet they continued to disobey him. And we see in the book of Judges that Israel continues this cycle of disobedience. They've continued to disobey God and do what's evil in his eyes. And because of this, God will then 
deliver them to enemy nations, just to take, o- to take over them. And as Israel is overtook by these nations, there's always this endless cycle of Israel just crying out for God for help, save us, forgive us for what we have done. And God in his mercy would always deliver. God in his mercy would send a judge who would save them from their enemies. And you think after Israel being saved once or twice, they'll get the hint by now, but we see for many years, Israel will continue this pattern of disobedience. After all that God had done for them, they'll be, thanks God, I'm just going to do my own thing again. And then they cry out for God's help, and God delivers, and they're right back at it again. God, I forget you. And this leads us into our story with Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And just to give you a context of what's going on, Israel had been taken by, by, taken by a nation of, by Midian due to their disobedience, and they're seen crying out for help for God. That God, save us from the Midianites. And God responds to their cry by choosing a very unlikely character to be a judge over Israel. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to be reading verse 11. Verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiazarite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress, to hide it from the Midianites. So stop right there. What's going on? Gideon, we read, is beating out wheat. And of all places he's beating out wheat, he is in a wine press. And why is that so important to know? See, if you don't know this, a wine press is actually a place where you make wine. You stomp out grapes. And if you've ever seen one, a wine press is actually like this deep pit in the ground. It's a deep pit in the ground where you stomp out grapes to make wine. You don't beat wheat in the wine press. The best way to beat wheat is to be in an open area, a hilltop area. Basically what you do is you get the wheat, you throw up in the air, and the winds would throw a, blow away all the chaff away and all the waste away. Yet we see Gideon doing this in a wine press. Why is he doing this? It is because he is deathly afraid. He is trying to hide from the Midianites and he is trying to hide gathering the wheat for his family. He knew if he threw the chaff up in the air, there's a chance that the Midianites will see him and will capture him and steal from him. And something funny happens in verse 12. Verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Okay. That, I don't know. That's, I, I thought that was very humorous to me. That was like, what? That makes no sense. Right? So let me paint the picture. Gideon is afraid. Right? He's beating out wheat in the wine press. Right? He's terrified. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, You are mighty. Makes no sense. And just to give you a better picture, that term mighty man of valor, basically a mighty man of valor could be equivalent to our Navy SEALs, our Black Ops, our Special Forces, and Marines. 
And God was calling Gideon this type of guy. Okay, that makes no sense to me. So it's like pretty much me if I went up to a very scrawny, skinny, confused child and said, hey, what's up, tough guy? Right? Makes no sense. It's not what they look like, right? And Gideon was no mighty warrior. He was actually a coward. But God calls him something that he's not. And Gideon responds in verse 13, And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds and our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. One of the first points I want to share about peace is that one of the ways we want to understand peace is trusting in who God says we are. That is the first point is that the way we understand peace is trusting in who God says we are. See, God called Gideon a mighty warrior, yet clearly we see in the passage that he is totally the opposite. And Gideon must have been so confused hearing this from God. It's like, I'm a mighty warrior? Like, I think you got the wrong person. And we see that in verse 15 where he says, And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He's saying, God, you got the wrong guy. You don't know me. I'm the least in my family. I'm not who you say I am. I'm not capable. I'm not acceptable. You're wrong about me. You don't know me. And Gideon starts to name limitations of himself. And we see him doubting the truth of God's word. And the funny thing is, isn't that how we sometimes sound? That instead of believing and trusting in God's word, we choose to believe our own truth about ourselves. Instead of understanding our own identity in Christ, we think of ourselves as different. Some people that God does not want. God doesn't want to be near. God does not want to even use. We make up our own identity. And see, God called Gideon something that he was not. But he called him something that he would become. And here's the weird thing about God. I like to call God uh, one of the worst talent scouts. Okay? Like if, he's, if you recruit him to like scout out talent for you, he'll pick the worst people. Okay? So uh, just to give you an example, uh, something about me, I love playing basketball. Any basketball fans in the place? Yes. Yes, Lakers 2020 championship. I said it in church. It's going to happen, okay? But I love playing basketball. And if you ever play basketball, sometimes when you love playing with your friends, it's called pickup games. What you would do is sometimes when you're playing basketball, you start to scout out different people that you want on your team. It's like, oh, that guy can rebound. That guy can shoot. That guy plays defense. I want them on my team, right? That's how you would play a pickup game in basketball. But if God was the one who started playing pickup game basketball, he would choose the worst people, 
right? He'd be like, man, that guy seriously cannot play. Hey, come on my team, right? Like, dude, that guy can't even dribble. Hey, you, come on my team, right? He's the worst guy to pick. He's the worst talent scout. But here's the thing. God sees something that we usually do not. Pastor Eric Mason writes, God goes and looks for the worst people because he's going to give them gifts and not look for gifts. He's going to give them talent, not look for talent. See, God wasn't looking at Gideon's potential. He was looking at the potential when he is in him. He's not interested in Gideon's skills or abilities, but he was more interested in his trust and his dependence in him and who God said Gideon was. So that when Gideon starts to live in faith for God, the glory doesn't go to him, it goes all to God. And that's the beauty of the gospel that we really believe in. That we don't come to God, God comes to us. We don't look for God, God looks for us. Right? We don't love God, but God loves us. That's the gospel. Even in our sin, in our guilt, in our shame, in our brokenness, God still seeks us. And he shows us his grace and his mercy by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins but yet conquering the grave in his resurrection so that we who would believe in him will be found in him and live in humble dependence in him. One commentator writes, a mighty man of valor is one who despite the deathly consequences of war went to war anyway, trusting in God to bring victory. The thing that makes a mighty man of valor is not how violent they are, they were, but how much they trusted in God and acted on that trust. Do we trust in who God says we are? Or are we like Gideon when we start doubting God's word? And you probably think that after Gideon hearing this from God, he'd be so excited Right? He'd be driven. He'd be wanting to live for God and follow his commands. But we see in the following passage that Gideon doesn't do that. How does he end up responding? Verse 15 says, And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Verse 17 says, And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So God is reassuring Gideon, I am with you. I am with you. But then, even then, Gideon still chooses to doubt God. He says, God, give me a sign. Give me a sign that you are real. Give me a sign that you're really with me. Then I'll believe you. Isn't that kind of funny how we do that too? It's like when God, you feel like God's like kind of saying something. He's like, okay, God, I believe you. But if you can do this, then I'll really believe you. 
If you can show me this, then I'll really, really believe you, right? Gideon is still doubting, and he's afraid. He's doubting whether or not God is really with him. And because of that, he's asking God for a sign. And if you see in verse 19 to 20, Gideon goes back home. He prepares a nice meal and brings it back to the man. And in verse 21, it says, The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and on the, on the 11 bread cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the 11 cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Peace for us as Christians is not only trusting in who God says we are, but true peace is trusting in who God says he is. See, Gideon was in his doubt and he asked God to show him a sign. And God reveals that to him by consuming the, the gifts, the meat and the bread with a huge fire. And Gideon realizes that he had just encountered God. And he is terrified. Why? Because he recognized that he is in the presence of a holy, good God. But in verse 23, God responds to Gideon by saying, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. God speaks tenderly to Gideon. And we see later on that God will use Gideon in a mighty way to deliver the Israelites. In a way so that God will receive the glory. And see, many times when we read the book of Judges, especially about the story of Gideon, We think that the hero of the story is Gideon, that God used Gideon. Gideon was the one who delivered the Israelites. Gideon was the mighty warrior. Gideon was the mighty man of valor. But the true hero of this story is God. It is always God. It is God alone who is the hero. We see this throughout that Israel will always cycle back into a state of sin, disobeying God And yet, what does God do? He still comes through and saves and delivers his people. He continues to rescue them, save them, show mercy to them, and show his grace to them. And what was God trying to convey all these people? I was just kind of reading this. I'm like, man, God, like, these people mess up so many times, yet you respond this way. Don't you just want to, like, not? Don't you just want to give up? Don't you just think... This is all, like, I'm sick and tired of all this. What was God really trying to convey? He's saying, I am a faithful God. I am a promise-keeping God. I am a covenantal God. Even though you forsake me, I will not forsake you. I am faithful. And friends, I know many of us go through very tough and challenging times in our lives. And I think many times because of these challenges, we try to seek peace in ways that we feel like they'll fit our lives. We think, maybe if I get this, maybe if I have that, then I'll have true peace. And we later find out 
that it does not give us any peace. And we try looking, looking for the next best thing. But the good news is that our true peace is that we serve a God who is forever faithful. A God that we can always trust. A God who is fully ruling and reigning and in control. That is where our trust should lie in. That is where we find our true peace. Not in other things outside, but trusting in a good and faithful God. Do you trust this God? Do you trust that God has the best interest for you? Do you trust that God is working for your good, not for your happiness? That it will go all according to his will. Do you trust this God in your heart? See, Israel didn't get this. Israel didn't understand. That's why many times they continued to disobey because they thought, God doesn't have that best interest for me. I want to do what I want. But God did not forsake Israel. We see that Israel actually ended up forsaking God. But unlike us, God is still good. And he still remains faithful. He says, Israel, you have disobeyed me again and again and again, yet I am still faithful. Despite their sin, God continued to show his faithfulness to them. And this is the God that we worship. This is the God that we praise. And this is the God that we love. Verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. What is your peace this morning? As a matter of fact, who is your peace this morning? I think sometimes asking those hard questions, we don't want to reveal the things that we truly hold on to. But what is your peace? And one of my prayers um, for CPCLM is that we, as people of God, in our everyday lives, will continue to strive and humble dependence, knowing that we worship a God who is faithful and good. And my prayer is that, that he will be your true peace. He will be all of our true peace. So that's why whenever you go through the toughest moments, we know, you know what? But I know God is in control. It may not feel like it right now, but I know God is in control. God is faithful. He's faithful in his word. He's faithful to me. God is forever faithful. I hope and pray that he will be your true peace, not for just today, but for the rest of your lives. Let's pray. We come to you with our honest hearts. And we recognize that, God, we have put other things before you. 
we have trusted in other things, thinking that they will bring us the peace that we also want. But many times, God, we realize that they are not long-lasting and they don't really give us peace. God, we pray that this peace that we seek is not just a feeling, not just some good thing that we hold on to, but God, it'll, the true peace that we seek is you. That we may seek you and trust in you, knowing who you are, knowing that God, you are faithful and good, and may we rest in that faithfulness and your goodness so that when we go about life, as we go and serve you and worship you, we know that whatever may come, we can hold firm in knowing who you are. May that be our true peace as we go on forward. We thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.